Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And if you're able to stand to honor God in the reading of His Word, we're going to read verses 1 through 6 this morning. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, and some of you will have translations that more accurately read that your passions are at war within your members? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain... So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, that is, to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, would you open our eyes now that we might behold wonderful truths in your law. And in beholding these wonderful truths, may we see your love for us and your goodness toward us and your grace. That you are the one who gives more grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want us at the beginning this morning to get our bearings again. We we have been away from uh, James for a couple of weeks during the time of Holy Week, Palm Sunday, and then on Easter Sunday, but we're back in James and we're approaching the end of the book of James, and so we need to get our bearings as we move forward, and to get our bearings, we remember that we've passed through what is the thematic center of the book of James, and the thematic center of the book of James is James 2, verses 14 through 26. Faith without works is dead being alone. Now, this one passage has caused in the church over the years a lot of confusion and a lot of conversation about there perhaps being some conflict between Paul and James, some controversy 
between these two wonderful godly men raised up by God to write a portion of the scripture. But this controversy is resolved because it's no controversy at all when we understand that Paul is writing about faith in relationships to works from the perspective of God. Uh, When God looks at us, the question that we raise is, how can we be right with a holy, righteous God? How can we who are sinners enter into a right relationship with God? And Paul answers that, speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the only way we can be right as sinners with a holy, righteous God is by God being gracious and merciful and kind to us, which he has done in sending the Lord Jesus Christ for us so that we could be saved by him. And the way we're saved by him is by faith. Our link to God is faith. Uh, Faith is giving ourselves completely to Jesus as Lord. It's trusting him and beginning the process of obeying him. James is not addressing that question. James is addressing an entirely different question. His question is, how can we be right with God and show that we're right with God to other people and to ourselves? Uh, What are you and I to look at in ourselves and what are other people to look for in us in order for us to demonstrate that we really belong to Jesus as Lord? And James' answer is they look to our works. Uh, They look to the way we live our lives. So practically, they look at this church. And they look at all of us in this church who say that Jesus is our Lord and they have every right to look at the way we relate to one another. Do we love one another? Are we committed to one another? Do we care for one another? And then they watch the way we live in the world. Uh, Do our lives in the world demonstrate that we really belong to Jesus as Lord. There's no disconnect between trusting Jesus to save us by the grace of God and that salvation expressing itself in a life of ongoing sanctification or being more like Jesus as we live in the world and do the works that God has called us to do. So then in... Chapter 3, James begins to turn to some critical issues that have to do with our living out our commitment to Jesus as Lord in the real world. And the first thing he addresses is the tongue. Because that's the most critical. And so what he says is, people can... Listen to what we say. Uh, They can listen to our language. They can listen to how we talk. And they can discern from our language whether or not Jesus is Lord. Now, please don't raise your hand here. But can I ask you a question? Do you struggle with this one? Have you failed here? 
Let me tell you what James says. James says, <laughs> there are people in the church that gather to worship God and they're not even home before they begin to criticize others in the church. It's a struggle. And then he turns in verses 13 through 18 of James chapter 3 and he talks about wisdom. He says there are only two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom that comes from the Word of God by way of the Spirit of God. And there's the wisdom that comes from the world. And every person in the world, believer and unbeliever, operate out of one of these orientations. And they cannot be mixed. You're either living your life from the perspective of the wisdom of God that comes through His Word, or you're living your life from the perspective of wisdom that comes through the world. Again, let me ask you a question. Do you struggle with this one? Do you find yourself wanting to be led by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, and yet you're living in the world surrounded by people whose life is directed by the way of the world, and you get caught up in that. Now, this is the person I want to talk to at the end of the service. This is the person that I want to hear from. You could say, I don't know what you're talking about, Al. I've never battled my tongue. I always speak correctly and always encourage and exalt others. And I never think like the world thinks. My life is always determined by the Word of God. You and I need to talk because I need your prayers and I need your help. Here's my question. Why is it so hard for us, even when we have professed faith in Jesus as Lord, to follow Him And to be faithful to him. Why is there a battle in our hearts? And if you're a believer, this battle is in your heart. And this battle is in your heart. The only heart in this room that does not engage in this battle is an unbeliever. Because your heart is owned by Satan. And you are controlled by the wisdom of the world And you are bold to say that whatever you think in your head comes out your mouth and you don't care. You have the kind of freedom that is in fact a bondage. But if you're a believer, this battle is there. And this battle is there because every day of our lives... You and I as believers live in a war zone. And I want us this morning to enter biblically that war zone because that's where James is taking us. Now, in entering this war zone, I want to say, I just want to say this openly and honestly, there are men and women in this room who are involved in our military or who have been involved. So I know the kind of war zone you often are in and have been in is a different place, facing physical forces and violence. I understand that. 
And I in this church are very grateful for all of you who serve now and all of you who have served in the past. I'm talking about something distinctive and different. I'm talking about a spiritual fight, a spiritual warfare in which every believer in this room is engaged. And I want you to see that this this fight is internal. It's an internal fight. It is fueled by an external fuel. But God has brought to us an eternal peace by his grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. It will give you everything you need in the midst of the fight. This fight is internal. This fight is continual. This fight will go on until you die or until Jesus comes. But this fight is primarily a spiritual fight. So let's enter the war zone and let's look at this fight. James raises this question in the beginning. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now the among you here is singular. I must confess to you that I had not ever seen this before, but it's very clear in the original language, this is not plural. I guess as a pastor, I have read this as plural because I've been a pastor and I've seen the fights between church members that are inexplicable to me and I can't understand them and cannot explain them biblically. But this is not talking about that. It's talking about the fights that go on inside of us. What are what causes quarrels? It's a noun. The word fights is a noun. The word quarrels comes from a Greek word that means war. This is a big war. The word fights comes from a word that means to have a sword on your side and to draw the sword in battle. What causes these big wars in you? What causes you to engage in battle, not with other people, but with certain issues in your life? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you or more correctly within your members? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight. It's the same word that's used up in verse 1, but it's a verb here. You fight and quarrel. Same word used in verse 1. This fight that is in us is an active fight, an ongoing fight. It is inside us. It is continual. It is the war zone. James is not talking here about conflicts in churches between members. They happen. They always happen. They will always happen. He's going deeper. He's going into our souls, into our hearts. Why are there conflicts between members Because one is right and the other is wrong. One loves Jesus more than the other loves Jesus. No. 
Conflicts are because of what goes on deep in our hearts, deep in our souls. And until we dig down there to see what is going on there, as God teaches us, we will never find a way to function in the war zone. Conflict in a church between members is symptomatic of a deeper disease that is spiritual. John MacArthur writes, God never designed discord in the church. It's present because the church is a mixture of believers and unbelievers. That will always be true. That will be true on the day Jesus comes. But we want to go deeper into our hearts and souls and listen to what God says about where the source of this war, this battle, this fight really is. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, inside of you? Well, he answers. Look at his answer. Is it not this? Here's the answer. That your passions are at war within you. The word passions is a word from which we get our English word hedonism. And it's used in three basic senses in the New Testament, all of which converge here. The word has to do with our desire for pleasure. That's its basic meaning. We could also say our desire to feel good inside ourselves, about ourselves. Or our cultural term is our desire to be happy. That's the basic meaning of the term. Now, are you saying that God is that tyrant in the sky, that he doesn't want you to enjoy life? He doesn't want you to feel good inside? He doesn't want you to be happy? No, he wants you to be eternally and infinitely happy. And you will never be when you chase happiness through the ways of the world. Never. And worse, you will be miserable if you profess to be a Christian and chase happiness by compromising your commitment to the Word of God so you can at the same time enjoy the things of this world. That's its first meaning. Second meaning is it has to do with particular things, activities, relationships that become for us the primary cause of fulfillment. God has made you, God has saved you so that the focus for your life is finding fullness of life and fulfillment in Him. Not in His gifts to you, but in Him. I want you. I desire you. I want all of you, more of you. I want your fullness every day of my life. But we begin to be distracted by things in this world, and we begin to look at them, and we begin to delight in them, and we begin to want them along with God. Thirdly, it means whatever we see, whatever we think, whatever we feel, 
that will make us feel increasingly secure in ourselves. This is how we're born. This is the essence of being a sinner. It is a lust in every human heart in this room that is insatiable. John Calvin wrote, the lust and longings of our hearts are insatiable. I believe he's right. This is what he says. If, if you were given your own world to rule over, you know what you would want? Another world. Uh, we, we can't satisfy those desires that are a part of who we are from birth. Is it not this? Your desires are at war within you. We have these longings from birth to feel good, to be happy, to be fulfilled, to find fullness in life, to be satisfied. And we pursue them from birth. But every one of those desires, God has made you so that he is the only one who can satisfy you. The only one. What are you chasing this morning? What's captured your heart? What controls your mind? What inflames your feelings? Whatever that is. That's the dominant longing of your life. And God has made you so that he is the only one who can be that. And bring you what you're looking for. It's not just the longing of our hearts. It's the law of God or word of God. Look at verse 2. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What James is doing here is he's giving us the first commandment, the tenth commandment, and the sixth commandment. If you desire anything other than God as the first and foundational person and power in your life, you have become guilty of idolatry. God says, first commandment, you shall have what? No other gods before me. Other gods can be people. Other God can be things. Other God can be places. Other gods can be pursuits in our lives. You desire and you do not obtain. You're chasing something that you know will give you fullness and fulfillment other than God. John Calvin again says, The Spirit of God does not and will not rule where depraved desires 
prevail. So listen, child of God, when you are chasing things other than God to bring fullness and fulfillment to your life and you begin to sense one day, I don't think God is as present as he used to be, let me assure you, he isn't. He's not left you, abandoned you, but he could withdraw and he does withdraw his presence from us if we want to pursue our own path and our own agenda and look for things to give us meaning other than God he will withdraw and bring us to the point of the end of our rope in the fullness of emptiness and he will give more grace he will come to us when We have come to the end of ourselves. So you desire and you do not have, so you murder the sixth commandment. Now you know this. What is the greatest assault weapon you possess? Your tongue. Chapter 3, that's what he's talking about. Some of the most vicious people are people in churches who profess to be Christians who are pursuing the wrong things. And when they don't get their way, they turn their tongues on others. And they destroy them. Or they attempt to destroy them. There was a time in my life many years ago when when God was calling me out of a wrong path into... Uh, full commitment and surrender to him as Lord. And I was resisting that, but I was so miserable that I had to do something in my life and I began to to listen and I began to learn and I began to see that what I thought it meant to be a Christian was far removed from what it really means to be a Christian. And as I began to yield my life to Jesus as Lord, I began to see something. You know what I began to see? That before I yielded my life to Jesus as Lord, you know the people in the church that I didn't want to be around. I can tell you. It was those people who had yielded their lives to Jesus as Lord. I didn't like them. Because every time I was around them, there was conviction. Some of you can identify You like those people who profess Christians who are chasing the same idols. You covet. This is the 10th commandment. You covet. You're after what others have that you don't have. And you think if you get that, you will be satisfied. You covet. And you cannot obtain. So what do you do? You fight, you quarrel, you're frustrated, you're irritated, you're aggravated, you find everything you can find in the church to complain about and to criticize about. And there are people who listen and say, we need to resolve that conflict. No, we need to preach and teach the word of God so that the spirit of God can take us down into our souls and show us where the real cancer is. Because when we are pursuing other things than God, we show that we love things and other people and situations other than 
God. You know where it shows up? Shows up in our prayer life. Listen to what James says. You do not have, verse 2, the end of verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. We begin to pray only for those things that are important to us. We pray only for those who are closest to us. I was working on this passage for the last couple of weeks in the midst of working on it. These words came to me and I wrote them down. They're for me. You're listening to them. I wonder how many of us during the last year, during the pandemic, have with passion and persistence spent far more time praying that God would teach us during these days all he wants us to know in these days, that during this time he would grow us in our love and devotion to him and to his church, and that he would change us so during this time that we would serve him more fully and faithfully than we ever have, that we would see that he alone is all we need and that we would lay our lives before him rather than praying as our primary priority that, God, somehow you would end this whole thing so that we can get back to our real lives. What if God's purpose in part during all of this thing, this pandemic, was to break bondage in some of our lives to things that do not matter and to show us what really matters? You ask because uh, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. The verb ask in verse 3 is indicating continual action. You keep praying, you keep praying, you keep praying, and you don't receive because you're asking wrongly. What is the wrong action? To spend it on your own passions. Your whole life revolves around yourself and what you desire, and it determines even your prayer life. Verse 4 In the beginning is one word, adulterers, adulterers. It's a spiritual term here looking at what people who live this way are. We've been called to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we've abandoned for other lovers. Physical adultery is vile and gross in the eyes of God. Spiritual adultery is vile 
and gross in the eyes of God. That's the fight. Do you recognize this fight? Are are you engaged in this fight? This is real. This is every day. But what's the fuel? Well, James speaks to it succinctly, and so we will speak to it succinctly. Do you not know? He's raising a question here for believers. He's writing to believers. This is not for unbelievers. Unbelievers don't have this fight. They won't even recognize this fight. Do you not know that friendship with the world, the word, word, word for friendship here used a couple of times here is a word for love. It means to cozy up to something, to be connected with something, to be intimate with something. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? The word enmity has to do with hate. If you are a friend of the world, you're in a hate relationship with God. Therefore, whoever wishes, if you just want to be a friend of the world, embraced by the world, accepted by the world, adored by the world, you make yourself one who hates God. That's one of the problems that we see throughout the Bible in the Garden of Eden. Satan came to Eve and began to cause her to doubt the Word of God. Satan said to Eve, God just knows that if you do what you're not supposed to do, you will have all the world. The world will be yours. Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness. And one of his temptations was, if you will bow down and worship me, what? I'll give you the the whole world. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. I think 1 John chapter 2, these verses that I want to read, verses 15 through 17, I don't think they've ever been more important than in our culture, in our day. If you ask me to identify what is the source of so much stress in Christian soul, why are we so anxious? We're more anxious than we've ever been. We're more worried. We're more fretful. Inside our souls, we're troubled. Why? I can tell you why. I believe the world's too much with us. We love the world more than we love the Word. John says in 1 John 2, 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, what is it? The desires of the flesh, what James was talking about, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, what we want, what we wish for, what we long for, what we need to be happy, to find pleasure, to be fulfilled to feel good about ourselves. It's not from the Father. It's not from God. It's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Oh, I'm so grateful this morning that James doesn't end this passage right here. Verse 5, or do you suppose... 
that it's to no purpose that the Scripture says. Now, we have no place in the Bible that we can find this particular text. So this, this is an overall teaching of all of Scripture. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Now, I know, and I'm not going to get into it, there are other translations that take a different turn here, but I want you to look at this. When you were brought into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the day you gave your life to Jesus, do you recognize, I hope you know this, that God took himself, his spirit, and he put his spirit in you. And from that day forward, God looked at you and God says to you, you're mine. And by the presence and power of my spirit in you, I'm going to give you as a deep and abiding desire because I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for you. Nobody else can have you. When I first started dating Ann, if some other guy looked at her, I forgot I was a Christian. I was jealous. If somebody looked at her now, I'm still jealous. She's my wife. And I love her with every ounce of my being. I can't love her like God loves her. I didn't put my spirit in her. He did. And every child of God, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit keeps you, but he changes you. And when you start walking down a wrong path, he convicts you. He jerks you up. He calls you back. James says he does something beautiful. He gives you more grace. You see that? Or do you suppose, verse 5, it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Grace on top of grace. Because he loves you and he's jealous over you. And he knows that when you're chasing the world while wanting to be committed to Jesus as Lord, you are absolutely miserable. Your joy dissipates. Your happiness is gone. Your meaning begins to diminish. He knows that. And he calls you. He calls me to confess it. To confess it to him, to confess it to others. God opposes the proud. God stands in direct opposition to the proud, but he gives grace. There it is. He gives grace to the humble. I think the worst place for a believer to be is to act as if you're not struggling. 
I believe there are people in this room today who are able to say, Al, I know that war. (laughs) It's real right now in me. Now, here's my question. Who have you told? Outside your family, who have you told? Brothers, my brothers, who have you told? Do you have another brother or two that you're meeting with, that you're praying with, that you're honest with, that you can say to them, this is hard? Why not? Sisters, you can't go through this battle by yourself. None of us can. Who knows? Who are you talking to? Who's holding your feet to the fire? Who knows what is going on in your heart? To be humble is to be the kind of person that admits the struggle and asks for help from other brothers and sisters. And then God begins to break through. Because I want to tell you something. One of the ways that Satan works in a church is he, he causes people to look at certain other people and say, They got it together. I don't. I don't think there's a single person in this room or in the membership of this church that would stand up and say, yeah, that's me. No. The war is real. The victory is certain. Fight the good fight until the very end. And now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the throne of his glory to the only wise God be glory and power and honor and blessing from this day and forever. Amen.